pondered this episode for quite a while, wanting to deliver content that to help each of you to step up to the next level. You're the activists, role models, teachers and rule breakers. The social commentators, leaders, thought provokers, the healers and inspirers. You experiment, question, try on for size and promote. You innovate, create, you share and live life bolder than ever before. And so I've chosen someone today to join me on The Love Life Show, who is the epitome of high self-confidence and self-worth. It enables him to be the bold role model to his own personal catch cry of, Ordinary is the enemy. Welcome to Love Life, featuring your host, Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. Feel the light. Ordinary is the enemy. And that's the catch cry of my guest today. I introduce you to the wonderful Sputnik. My first question to Sputnik was where did he get this brilliant sense of self-confidence and self-worth from? This confidence enables him to be a very bold observer of life and publisher in any media possible, whether it's social media, the print media, radio, television. He's putting his bold message out there. First thing I need to comment on is self-confidence and self-assuredness and all those things because it's kind of a newsflash to me that I have all of those things. Are you serious? And, and, and you know, every... Well, it's not a newsflash in the sense that I know that I'm able to stick my neck out in certain ways that other people haven't or wouldn't. But, you know, it's a, it's a fragile facade at times. You know, there, there's always, you know, I, I wrote a thing on Facebook yesterday, right, which was a bit of a bearing of the soul. And, you know, I was riding my bike uh, a little bit, doing a few errands. So I, I was kind of going over in my head the things that had happened during the day. And I was thinking, oh, I could write about this. This could be quite cool. And, you know, I sort of imagined some of the sentences and thought about some of the things. But And it's it's a bit like when I'm running or riding my bike or having a shower, anything is possible. But when I actually go to do it, I think, who the fuck am I to think that I could do that or is that going to work or will people give a shit? So Is it almost like in that moment when you're writing it in your head, when you're on the bike or you're in the shower – you completely tapped into your heart. You completely yeah. tapped into pure intent. And it's like you catch that inspiration. You catch that creativity. And then there may be a break between that moment and when you actually get onto the keyboard to do it. And then your head gets in the way. Yeah, and look, and, and, and it's hard because for people who don't know, my background is in advertising marketing, advertising and marketing. And, and at various times my role is, let's just call it creative director. But part of that job is to be the most critical bastard on earth. You know, it's to look at every single piece of beautiful, creative work and not go, oh, that's beautiful and creative. It's to go, what can we make better about it? Where's the weak point? What's the focus is to look for flaws, right, as a professional. I would right? never have picked that in your energy because it's certainly not that in private. And, and I remember being at a Tony Robbins event in about 1996. So we're going back before we was on Netflix, before there was a Netflix. <laughs> And I remember him talking to someone in the crowd who was in Hawaii somewhere, and he was talking about someone whose job was as a lawyer, and they were talking about relationships. And I remember this, there's little snippets that I remember like it was yesterday, and they said, your problem is you're acting like a lawyer when you go home and you're interrogating your partner. Oh. And I always thought, ah, that's a thing for me. I've got to make sure when I go home 
I'm not right. a creative director or someone whose job it is is to pick flaws right. in things. Right, and tell you how you can do it better. So, you know, it's like when you come home and you're 12 and you do a test and you get 9 out of 10 and your dad as a joke goes, oh, what happened to the other one? Yeah. You know, and he thinks he's been funny. Yeah. But retrospectively with more consciousness now, we know that that's incredibly shit, right? <laughs> yeah. Know? And yeah. There's no, there was no intent, there was no, you know, all that stuff, we get it. Um, but retrospective, we know that that sends a pretty awful message at times. So one of my challenges, A, has always been don't be that person at home. Yeah. Uh, and B, the bigger challenge is don't be that person to yourself sometimes. So, you know, every time I write something, think something, you know, I do go into edit or creative director mode and go, hang on a minute, is this worth putting out into the world? I was curious to know if Sputnik had a way of editing himself to know when to put something out into the world and when not to because I think we've all been guilty at times of sharing something and then wishing we could retrieve it. Or, of course, the flip side is of wishing that we had the courage to put something out there and regretting the fact that we didn't. So I'm a runner, but very quickly I got into running marathons and ultramarathons. So a marathon, a standard marathon is 42.2 kilometres, an ultramarathon is anything above that. So I'd be off in the trails in the Blue Mountains or in New Zealand running a 100-kilometre trail race, right? The problem with that is you start to mix with people who run 100-kilometre trail races. So when you talk to them, when you talk about running 5 or 10 kilometres, that seems shit and trivial, whereas you talk to a regular person and they go, oh, my God, I could never run 5 or 10 kilometres. So, you know, your, your yardsticks, you've got to be careful that you don't choose a yardstick that is really off kilter. So, you know, with whatever yeah, so you're doing. Being aware of who your audience is or yeah. who it is that you're wanting to communicate your message to. Yeah, not to normalise extraordinary. You know, I mean, I think it's, it's all right to normalise it if that's what you aim for, but when you go to write something, I suddenly hold myself against Tony Robbins and go, oh, if I can't do it as well as him, I better not bother. You know, if I, which is why I gave that analogy. I eventually yeah. got to my point. But you know, you know, or we've got Tony Robinson coming to the story. Yeah, you know, or you know, there's a guy called Mike Rowe who does, you know, world's dirtiest jobs or something. Was one of those TV shows. Right. And whenever he does a, a post, I read it and I just feel sick in the stomach. Oh, I wish I could be that eloquent. And so sometimes I feel like it's not worth creating something or putting my opinion out into the world unless I can do it on that scale. And, of course, if everyone thought that, then only one person would do it. Of course, I've always got those doubts and fears and, you know, self-questioning and all those things. Sputnik's a serial entrepreneur. He really is a game changer and somebody who just thinks completely different and out of the box. He even dresses differently. In fact, when I first met Sputnik back in the 90s, he was presenting as a very eye-catching kind of cross between Adam Ant and Boy George. But I asked Sputnik, about his businesses. They're quite inspiring. My core business, which is my background, which is advertising marketing, so I have a business called Out of This World, which I still do, which is That's a marketing consultant. You. you were the consultant for a job I was working on, and I just went, again, in comes the cool dude. So, all right, Jane, you've got this. You can hold your own. I also met Sputnik at an advertising art director's awards evening. Which now, is tomorrow night, by the way. Yeah, 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 yeah funnily okay. enough. Yeah, okay, this well, please let me ask what is it you're wearing because it won't be a black dinner suit for a black tie event, I can assure you. Have <laughs> you thought about it yet? No, I'm, I'm rocking the – I shouldn't make jokes. I'm, I'm starting – you know how you're not allowed to make jokes about anything? Yeah. I've been making jokes and I'm rocking the homeless look and I shouldn't make – I'm certainly not making light of homelessness. 
I haven't had a shave or a haircut for quite a long time, so I'm not sort He's of doing looking that like, natural and looking fabulous. Bit caveman. Um, so what will I wear? It's black tie every year, and every year I wear, I don't know, jeans or That's you know, right. some sort of my <laughs> Sea Shepherd T-shirt or whatever. It was but. definitely jeans, but it was something really out there again. And it was uh, so the advertising or the art director awards every year have is every year the watering yep. can. Yep. So they have this award. Tell me if I'm wrong on this, buddy. Yep. A watering can that is given to the most outstanding talent. Uh, Look, no, it's not. It's not the outstanding talent. Otherwise, I would never have gotten close to it. Oh, uh, very it's, humble. But it's for outstanding contribution to the industry, right? In okay. some way, yeah. Now, the year, this year that I was uh, involved in, they have a very elaborate, crazy way of presenting this watering can every year, and I think that year I had a heap of can-can dancers coming out to present it. And uh, Spuddy was the recipient. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, you were the youngest recipient ever? Oh, I don't know about that. Okay, well, I do. That's what was going around the room that night, that he was the youngest. And that just says that from a very early age, you were different. You definitely did things differently. You thought differently. And at that point, I think you're working for one of the big ad companies. You know, the the story behind that, if I can just sort of jump in there, is that generally speaking, that award has been given to someone for um, uh, primarily core advertising or design work yeah. over an extended period of time. And my award, you know, I'd love to you know, tell everyone that's what it was for, but it wasn't really. I came up with an idea five or six years ago where, because we're based in Adelaide, um, and our industry is very Melbourne and Sydney centric. So very yeah, we're considered a country town. Correct. So most of the trade press doesn't actually really talk a lot about what goes on in Adelaide. And I'm a huge fan of Adelaide. I think there's some amazing things here and some great talents. So I came up with this idea, why don't we have our own dedicated news website for our industry? And I remember going to one of my business mentors and saying, I've got this great idea. And he said, oh, how's it going to make money? And I said, oh, it's not going to make money. And he said, well, why would you do it? And I said, because it needs to be done. And to me, that just seemed like a given. And at the time, business was pretty good, so I could afford the time and the energy to put into it. So I ran that business for five or six years, and and the reality is, yeah, I've done some interesting work in my time in the business, but that award was predominantly for, I guess, that website and giving the industry a voice and an identity and an and an outlet and a Again, nobody else was doing it. And we no. have always been in Adelaide, the little rural country yeah. town to the big Sydney and Melbourne. So huge kudos. Right. But you bring up an interesting point, though, that you mention, you know, well, it's not going to make money. And you've got another business. That oh, yeah, none of my businesses make money. That's just, is that a criteria? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that is, that. I love that because I know so many of the Love Life Tribe, the listeners are so passionate about what they do. And yet a lot of people focus, in my opinion, on the money aspect. But if you focus on the joy, if you focus on your passion and you're really hitting your ground doing your best work with it, everything else just falls into place. Now, maybe you could be making a six- or seven-figure salary instead of a five-figure or whatever. Um, however, you will always make enough for whatever abundance it is that you're wanting in life. Intent is key to everything we do in life. And I notice in the following conversation that intent appears to be important to Sputnik. However, I was curious to see how is it that he can get so bold in his intent. I'm an agitator and a boat rocker and a wave maker and a trailblazer and all those sorts of words that we use now in the Swashbucklers Club, um, but always always with good intent, you know. And, in fact, you know, the, to, to blend two stories, you know, when I won that watering can, and yes. this is a horrific piece of my history, the next year the person who won it, um, I thought 
the decision to award it to that person was really flawed for a certain number of reasons. Right. Um, I loved the person who won it. I thought, you know, that person was amazing, but they, they gave the award on some really weird criteria. Right. And so I questioned it quite publicly, you know, and, and it kind of went nuclear. And, and, you know, my intent was good, but I think in, in retrospect, you know, it was a really poor um, thing. But generally speaking, my, my shit stirring, if we want to call it that, is no, no, no. Let's to not produce let's a good, your activism or yeah, your to produce awareness a, of, of yeah. different thought processes. Thank you. Yeah, to produce, yeah, pr- produce a positive outcome or a constructive mm-hmm. outcome of some sort. So the Swashbuckers Club was born out of, I read an article in about, you know, the mid-90s, and it was a, an advertising guy called George Betsis who, um, along with a couple of other people, had come up with this thing called the Swashbuckler's Code, and they wrote this little 11-point code that they, or they were on their way to Greece, you know, and they were, you know, in the 90s, they were like mad men advertising guys. And it's not the manifesto that we use now. So they used to have a code, and it was, it was quite specific, and it was like... Um, you know, I devote at least 10% of my time to creating unforgettable, uh, unforgettable adventures. I have a sparkle in my eye, a swagger in my work, walk, walk and fire in my loins. Bit of a piss take. And so, um, I approached them at the time and that, but that code really spoke to me. Yes. So I approached him at the time and I said, look, you know, I know this was just a bit of a piss take, but can I pilfer that and create a thing called the Swashbucklers Club? And, you know, we're going to build a whole club around it. And at the time, I didn't know what the club was going to be. And 20 years later, I still don't. It's evolved a lot and changed. Um, yeah, and um, but w- what I did was I didn't want to use his code out of kind of respect and also it didn't quite fit where I saw it going. So I did write a, a manifesto um, which didn't have things like fire in my loins because, you know, women were going, can I still be a swashbuckler if I don't have fire? Anyway. So, and which then, a couple of those are. I've got this gorgeous, um, I've got it here. We celebrate the things that make us different and the things that make a difference. We dream big, aim high. Reach far and believe in the relentless pursuit of wow. Love it. And there's a whole heap more. We'll get to those through the show. Yeah. Um, so, and, and by the way, for anyone who's never written a manifesto, when you read them, it's very easy to like them or be critical of them. Fuck, it's hard to write one that doesn't make you sound like a complete dickhead. Because there'd be so many angles to it. It's a big, they're big statements. They're yeah. very big statements. But, you know, your boldness in your words, and, and that was one of the many beautiful reasons I really wanted you to come on the Love Life Show is because so many of our listeners are their teachers, leaders, and healers, mm-hmm. and their words or their um, presence, whether it's on you know YouTube or blogs or Facebook or um, podcasts, they are living life boldly. However, I think they'd really get a lot out of you by knowing how do you get to be so brave in what you write? You're bold. You're very bold. You're compassionate. It's well thought out. It's well, your thoughts are well presented with consideration for the against, yet there's the fours. Yet it's brilliant activist work and thought provoking work that really does motivate people to, to read and think. Yeah. I mean, I get, I, there's a couple of points that I'd make to that. I mean, the first one is I, I wrote a little, you know, I guess you call it almost like a meme once. And I said, you don't have to be awesome to do awesome things. It's doing awesome things that makes you awesome. They need permission or would need to get to a certain point to be able to do something. And of course, to me, I think it's, it's vice versa. I think, you know, practicing is, is doing it, you know, and, and it, that's a great point because it's like, I get a lot of um, emails and private messages from people saying, you know, I've really realized that, you know, I, I really want to be working in the coaching field and, 
always helping my friends, but I can't get him to do this course until whatever. And my advice is, well, you're already doing it. So stop saying you want to be and just start saying I am. Yeah, I mean, it's imposter syndrome to a certain extent, isn't it? So, you know, I remember going to a film conference once and saying, oh, I don't feel like I belong here. And they went, oh, you've got imposter syndrome. And I'm like, oh, I've never heard this term before. Since then, I've heard it a little bit. But I think there's a, there's a, in some people, or perhaps not your listeners, who are probably a bit more conscious and evolved than, you know, the average Joe, but I think sometimes we think we need to get to a certain point or have a certain endorsement or a certain qualification before we can feel qualified to have an opinion. I think that would be all of our listeners, including me, because we move into different fields. You know, there's areas that we might feel like we've got the PhD in, mm. and then there's other areas that we feel like we're in kindergarten, and when we're trying something new, you know, creativity, which you are the king of, the hand-in-hand partner to creativity is there. Yeah, and look, I mean, and for me it's just, you know, it's fake it till you make it a little bit. And and to, and maybe the, maybe there's a couple of subtleties in there like be humble. You know, don't you don't have to go out and go, I'm the expert and the king of the world. Yeah. You know, I think you can you can ease your way into it. And and to this day I wouldn't look at anything I do and go, I'm the best at it or I'm the greatest at it. Um, you know, after that Facebook post yesterday, for me, uh, you know, I put that out into the world and I go, I have a thing called the audience of one. Right, so we're going to let's bring a few different thoughts together. Right, so I have a thing called the audience of one. I have businesses where I may or may not give a shit about making money. Um, the reason I said I worry about smug people because I think it's really easy for people with money and a safety net to say, "Oh, just do what you love and the money will follow." Yes. Yeah, and I get that yes. some people are quite spiritual and they've read the secret or whatever and they think checks are magically going to turn up. Right, yes. my personal theory, and I've never seen this written anywhere else. So if I've knocked it off, I apologise. But the law of attraction, to me, it's not a coincidence that the last part of that word is action. Exactly. Right? So you can't just... In fact, just that was the missing piece from the secret. Correct. Love right. that DVD. Thought it was great to introduce yeah. people to it, but the big chunk missing yeah. is your action. So you've got to go and do something, right? your action raises your vibration to the point of a, a new point of attraction. Right. Yeah. So, so for me, yeah, look, I've been working for many years, so I've got a bit of a safety net. And don't get me wrong, there have been times when I've been pretty close to the you know, the wire in terms yep. of how am I going to pay the bills next month. Uh, at this exact moment in time, I go, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be able to pay the bills for a few more months before things go a bit tits up. Audience of one means, you know, whenever you do something, you don't think about whether there's 10 people or a million people or whether there's 50,000 people listening to a podcast. You just communicate one-on-one. And I think sometimes people think, I'll start doing something or being something when I've got an audience. And the paradox oh. is... Well, no, you get an audience when you start doing something or being something. So when I put something on Facebook yesterday, I go, I wonder if 10 people will like it. And by the way, it was, you know, a million words, right? So it wasn't an easy read. Uh, And we all know that social media is quite temporary. So, you know, not everyone's there to read an essay. Uh, And then all of a sudden overnight, and I didn't have a million things, but, you know, I'd have two, three hundred people, whatever it was, and people sharing it and all that. But, you know, when I wrote it, I just wrote it for my audience of one. And so the same thing goes with businesses, you know. I don't think, I had a mentor some businesses the other day and I said to them, I don't think the challenge is coming up with a good idea. The challenge is finding people who agree that your idea is good. Right? <laughs> because there's like, to try. I looked, I had to Google it, but there's 7.4 billion people in the world. So the chances are there's going to be someone else who thinks your idea is good. Yes. So it's not trying to convince people or trying to come up with the idea. It's just you know, using technology or whatever, you know, medium you can um, to find enough of those people who agree with you so that it's 
viable or commercial if if that's one of your criteria. Sputnik always has a new project on the go or he has a new goal that he's set for himself or perhaps it's a new visualisation of something he's wanting to aspire towards. And he always has a very strong conscious intent. So I was curious to find out what is he up to now? You know, I've just launched a new business where, you know, I've made a point of not using money as my KPI. We had the official launch um, last week in Sydney at the She Went Wild Women's Adventure Expo. So I'm a bit of an adventurer. So I've partnered up in a business which is creating clothes and stuff for women only in the adventure space. It's, it's a weird one to explain because I choose to say there is no brand, but right. the figurehead is an anonymous woman called Awesome Adventure Chick. Of course, the word's awesome in there if I'm involved with it. That's right. Um, And so, you know, it's T-shirts and cushion covers and pendants and all these sorts of things, and it's built around a philosophy that says adventure is my soulmate. The reason I mention that business is not to give it a shameless plug. It's because our goal was to create something beautiful, Mm -hmm. and and I personally already deem that business to be a success because it's one of the purest executions of a vision that I've ever had, that I've ever been involved with, where I look at what the internal idea was, what the externalisation of it is in terms of yes. what that what actual thing happens. looks like, and I look at those things and I go, oh, we've brought something beautiful into the world. It's an accurate and beautiful representation of the concept, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you've got something in your head and for whatever reason it doesn't you know, come you look out the same it, way. And so if it makes money, that would be fantastic. And I'm not going to lie, we have some quite uh, lofty, you know, ambitious goals for how many people we can affect. It's connected to women's causes around the world. So one girl uh, educating girls in Africa, uh, Kiba loans, which oh, was... I love yeah. you put, No, no, it wasn't. You didn't put me onto Kiba. I think I put you onto it, today. Oh, possibly. I read it in Bill Clinton's book. He wrote a book about different ways that you can give. I can't remember what the title is. I'll look it up and I'll put it on the show notes. But there was the one thing I got right. out of it was Kiva. Which is micro and- loans rather than flat-out donations. So, you know, you make a loan at $25 and then they pay it back $0.09 cents at a time or maybe they default or whatever. how quickly I've got paid back by yeah. so many people. That's really, you know, because this helps them. But I'm amazed at how often I get that email that says, you know, you've been paid that $3.41 yeah. for this person. But it's very quick that that money's back in. So my thing is as soon as that there's, because I've done many over the years, when I then go, okay, there's 25 there, I'm going to refinance someone else, I then keep another 25 yeah. in. So that's compounded over the years. Yeah. It's a very cool thing. So uh, Kiva, K-I-V-A dot org. Check it out and get amongst it. It's awesome. Um, so that's one of the supporting and the yeah, educating so women girl. in – in Africa. Uh, children in, see my children and then in Africa. Because I spend a lot of time uh, either working or travelling or guiding tours in places like Cambodia, I lived there well, for a while. You lived there for a while, didn't you? Yeah, so I've got some sort of personal relationships. And so one of my missions has been not just to support organisations, but I've got uh, a family, for example, that I help directly over there. So it's not a. Didn't not, they, re- they recently had some trauma, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, there was a flood there about this time last year and yes. uh, I happened to be in Cambodia at the time and didn't make the news and I, I texted him quickly and I thought it was just one of those courtesy texts to say, hey, are you okay? Yeah. And when he texted back... yeah, mate, it wasn't me. Yeah, and he had, he's got a little girl at the time. She was three and they hadn't eaten for three days. So basically the Chinese uh, who operate the dam on the main river there had opened it uh, late in the day and accidentally let way too much water out so their houses are all on stilts to allow for you know uh, water level changes in the river but their houses got flooded even on stilts so the main road 
was underwater and they had to, at 11 o'clock at night, so pitch black, um, go down the main road in rafts and boats and... That would be bizarre, wouldn't it? Oh, look, you know, and and to be there a few days afterwards was, you know, mind-boggling because by then a lot of the water had receded, the road was, you know, above water level again. Um, But I texted him on a Sunday afternoon and said, is everything cool? And he goes, well, actually, we haven't eaten for three days. Uh, he was discriminated against because they said, we're not giving you any aid because you've got friends who are Burrans, which are Westerners. So because he's a tour guide, they know that he's got Western friends, so they assume right, that he'll that get looked, he after. looked after. No one had, so if I hadn't texted him. Wow. And, and let me just tell this story because this is this is my favourite thing, right? So I, you can wire transfer money through mobile phones there. So I go, I'm going to send you 100 bucks right now so that you've got and, you know, enough to get you through the night, and then I'll come down tomorrow. And keep in mind, and, and, and if this sounds discriminatory, I'll wear this, but certain countries have different values and ideas around money. So if I just sent him a lot of money, yes, I, it wouldn't necessarily have been used and distributed in the most effective way, right? right. So I thought I'll send him $100 just so that they can eat, and then I'll go down there tomorrow and I'll make sure that, you know, I'll find out what they need and, and, and facilitate it. So when I got down there the next day, um, Sarat, who's my friend, came to me and said, Look, I hope this is okay. I'm so sorry. And I went, oh, what have you done with $100? <laughs> and he said, well, the lady next door, her husband's a fisherman and he's away on a fishing trip and she's got three kids. So I gave $50 to them so that they oh, could buy. So here's this guy with his own little daughter whose whole house has been just about washed away. Oh. I sent him $100 and the first thing he does is give $50 yeah, to his next door neighbor. So, that's, you know, that heart, that soul, you know, well, I know in my life I just haven't been tested like yeah. that. I would love to think I'm that person, but I don't know. Oh, I really, give $50 away? Well, that would yeah. Give, yeah, you know, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I really hope in the bottom of my soul I am that person. Yeah. You never it's know. It's the person I want really, to be, yeah. but we don't know until we're in it. That's gorgeous. So, and so, yeah, so we'll be um, paying for his daughter to go to school. So she's nearly at school age. So it's great to give money to organisations who support all kinds of people, but I really wanted some of it to be personal. Uh, and so after that, we then raised a whole bunch of I money. I think this is, this is really important. Look, a friend of mine runs the Hudson Mount Foundation, and it's, her, it's named after her son that, um, that passed away from an illness. And she is the one that deals with every single one of the families that she, um, that she supports and helps. And they have this beautiful annual uh, fancy dress big ball thing. And she had, invites the families that they've helped for that year and the children to come along. And it is so, it, it, it just does something different to your soul, to your heart, when you've got that direct connection. Mm. You know, as you said, this is more about, it, it, it's that money's money and, and very easy for us to say living in an abundant society that we can go, yeah, I can throw some money around and help out. But it's a whole other thing when you get to see it in action, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's just more personal. You know, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not an abstract concept, you know, and, and that's not to say I don't think those, you know, organisations don't do an amazing job at scale. Okay. Oh, so, you know. We need it. Absolutely. Well, Kiva is one. Yeah. That's a, that's a version of that. But, but for me, even with Kiva, when I can look at pictures of, you know, this person and that's yes. their name and they're from that country and this is what they're actually borrowing their money for, I know that when you, like, this is one of those great marketing things, right? When you sponsor a World Vision yes, kid. Yes, the World Vision. You know, and you get the photo your, of the child. Yes, does your money report. actually go to that actual kid for that actual thing? And I think, you know, we all know that some of those things are, you know, maybe yes, maybe no, depending yeah. on the organisation. 
Or, you know, if you buy, buy a chicken, does it actually buy a chicken? And have, well, yes. Having said that, I have sponsored through World Vision for decades. And one time I was, I had, I used to, prior to having my children, I used to sponsor teenage boys because mm-hmm. apparently they were the hardest right. for World Vision to get Not cute enough for. to get Not cute sponsored, enough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I went, no, that's cool. And, and my thinking was that, well, if they're teenage boys, because the sponsorship stops at 18. Mm. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll actually be helping more children because I'll only be with a child for a certain mm. period, a shorter period of time. And so I sponsored this teenage boy, and within, I think, about two or three months, I got a letter from World Vision saying um, that sponsorship, unfortunately, sometimes we identify a community that we believe needs help, mm. and we knew this one desperately needed help, but sometimes we've moved into little are too late. Oh, okay. And so basically the whole village just upped and moved. Right. They just left. They they didn't so trust right. what they had heard from the World Vision people and they, they took their own path. Mm-hmm. But to their credit, you know, I quickly got the email saying, or the back then letter, mm-hmm. saying, you know, we, we're sorry, we're moving on. By the way, he's close to here another person you might like to sponsor. But hey, whatever, you know, it's the intent. It's about the intent, isn't it, which is beautiful. And so I love that you have put such a beautiful intent behind, what's it called again? So that one's Awesome Adventure Chip. Awesome Adventure and, and, Chip. And, look, and, and it's so, like, like I say, the, the launch was only about 10 days ago. There's no products on the website. It's just a basic, kind of, you know, couple of pages at the moment. So that's what we're in the process of doing literally at the moment. Um, and yeah, it has got great intent, you know, to, to support those causes. And, and, you know, it's another example where as a, you know, this is, well, let's call it, you know, male, white privileged male, you know, I'm in okay, that category. Sorry, that. but you know, I, you know, that's how I was born. So, um, you know, I probably didn't have a full appreciation of some of those causes. So we decided to support them. And then having, like when one girl, for instance, sent me their document saying, you know, this is what we do, I cried reading it. And so, Retrospectively, this is the document from from the organisation when we were trying to decide who we would support. Right. Yes. I said, can you send me some information on what you do? And there were two reasons I decided to support them. One is because the document was compelling and heartbreaking, and you know I could see there was a real need. And two is because one of the specific things they said they did was awesomeify um, schools or something <laughs> and make them more, you know, because there weren't bathrooms for the girls to use and stuff so that but that was that year they, they made it more awesome so I thought oh yeah that's that's right up our alley. Buddy's thing is uh, is awesome and uh, and stay the hell away from ordinary that's one of his biggest sayings. Yeah I th- and, and look, that, that's what I was starting to say before about and this is a, this is a really important thing and, a, and it's a, an Australian cultural thing when I said it was hard before to write a manifesto what I noticed about that is, particularly in Australia, I think words like awesome are a bit taboo because they're a bit... Con- Who do you think you are? A bit American and a bit, we, you we've know... We've got the tall poppy syndrome where, yeah. you know, if you, if you act above your station in life, then they will, people will want to cut you down. Yeah. And it's very different to what I perceive an American culture to be. Yeah, and, and I think what happened early on with that business and what's really difficult for me still now is, so our catchphrase for... Uh, swashbucklers originally and still now was ordinary is my enemy right so we have t-shirts and you know all this sort of stuff um and what i've noticed about that psychologically is it's a it's a double negative yes, right? yes that's right <laughs> right yes. so it's saying what we're not instead of saying you know because if you went out and said i'm awesome, I'm awesome right yeah. 
But you say, okay, well, I'm not ordinary. Or ordinary is my... It's not even saying I'm not ordinary. It's just ordinary is my... And everyone can link into that, can't they? And go, yeah, I'm a bit of a daredevil or I'm a bit of a rebel or I'm a bit of an activist or I'm a bit of a whatever outspoken person. But we don't say what you are. We don't. We think that and hook in on it. That's clever. And then... um, and But I really wanted something uh, expressed in the positive and I didn't want it to sound smart or grandiose. So one of the things that you read before was this thing called the relentless pursuit of wow. So, you know, that for me is now part of my driving force when I'm deciding whether I'm going to do something or not. I go, is this part of the relentless pursuit of wow? And, in fact, we then started a little side business called the Ministry of Wow. (laughs) So we have a business that just does um, content creation for outdoor active and adventure brands. And so we, you know, spun off out of out of this world and called it the Ministry of Wow because we wanted to create content that made people go wow. And that's, that's fantastic. That's, what fun! That's as close as we get to sort of being, you know, backslappers and going, "Aren't we great?" Because it's not really aren't we great, but the content is kind of cool. As a free thinker and a really innovative problem solver, I was really keen to know what situation Sputnik is currently pondering. So I asked him, "What kept him awake at night?" So here's a here's um, what's keeping me awake at night at the moment. And let me start by saying this is one of those times where I'm incredibly insecure and vulnerable to express this opinion because I imagine that there are much more uh, well-educated, smarter, articulate people who have talked about these concepts, but this is what's keeping me up at night at the moment. I had a conversation the other day about with my, I've got a 19-year-old son, And so we were talking about this whole new gender fluidity, um, binary neutral sort of concept. And as a guy in my 40s, uh, late 40s at that, you know, this is a bit challenging for me because not how I was brought up, right? I was brought up with guys are guys and, you know, women are women and, you know, that's it, you know. So I'm pretty open-minded, so I'm open-minded to it all. Um, And a couple of things have all sort of conspired to happen. So I decided a couple of months ago, and you're going to go, hang on a minute, one minute we're talking about gender, one minute we're talking about this next thing, but I'll I'll bring them together. So we like the rabbit hole. So I decided to drive up to Uluru, right, Ayers Rock in the old language, and I've never been there. I've been, you know, all over the world, but I've never been to, you know, one of our own sort of amazing things. And so for anyone who doesn't know, it's, you know, I don't know, maybe sort of 1,600 kilometres away or something, so it's a it's fair old drive. It's <laughs> nowhere. So I basically hired a car because I didn't have everywhere. a car that would make it that distance, so I hired a car, jumped in the car and just drove up there, you know, for a couple of days or something to do. And and I had a bit of a, you know, I'm not as ethereal and, you know, I don't, you know I'm not as cosmic as some people. He's not into the weird and wacky as much as we are, but, but that's okay, we forgive you. But I had a, little, <laughs> I had a couple of little moments. Right? You and, if and you're going to have them, that's where you'll have them. And a couple of these moments, which I'll bring back to the gender issue and what keeps me up at night at the moment. The first one was um, there's an awful lot of nothing out there, right? It's not like there's forests and mountains or anything. I mean, for hundreds of kilometres at a time, there's kind of literally nothing. There's a little bit of basic scrub and, and that's it. And I was driving along, and by the way, that was exactly what I needed at the time. Um, and then you drive along and then there'd just be a fence. And I thought, how fucking absurd that someone's turned up at some point and gone, I might have this bit and built a fence, right? And, you know, as we know historically, wherever you're from, you know, Indigenous people in all kinds of countries got a pretty rough deal where other people came along and went, Oh, no one owns this because they didn't build any fences, so I'll build a fence. I'll build a fence. So, and, and I guess I knew knew that intellectually, but to see a fence yes. out in the middle of nowhere where someone's come up with this random arbitrary line where they would call something theirs, that, that kind of struck me. 
I then drove into Alice Springs and, and as is well documented or reasonably well documented, uh, again, in a lot of places, Indigenous people have struggled to adapt to the way of Western life that we've enforced. Mm. And there are a lot of Indigenous people sitting on the side of the road and my knee-jerk reaction, and I'll go on public record as saying this, was, what are they doing sitting there? And then I thought, oh, they're doing what they've always done. <laughs> they're, you know, It doesn't fit with what we've built around them. Yeah, but because they have the bit of concrete and bricks and water there. They're, they're sitting they're in their sitting land, there. you know, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh. So, you know, the, the construct that we've applied sort of hit me, and, and so then I was talking to Cruz, my son, about this gender thing, and I said, you know, none of it's real, right? And And when you go, well, what do you mean none of it's real? Like, none of it's real. So we're sitting here on a Wednesday, and there isn't a thing... There isn't a Wednesday, right? We just made we that just up. made it up. And everyone's talking it. about how we had a hailstorm last week that, you know, did all this damage and there's been floods and everyone's going, oh, spring, you know, is late this year. But spring's not late because there is no spring. We've tried to apply words and definitions to nature so that we all kind of know roughly what's coming next. It's going to be hot. But that's not a real thing. And we're sitting here and I meet you at 4 o'clock, but 4 o'clock's not a thing either, right? This is just we've made all this stuff up. And so when we started to look at gender, and by the way, like I say, there's probably scientific studies and stuff, right? But and I don't really care no, if, you're a, it from your words. if you're a creationist or a religious person or whatever, but I went, what? what we do know as a fact, right, and this is the only thing I know as a fact, is that if a man gets together with a woman and breeds, that they can breed. Not necessarily, but that, that's at they least have a possibility of it. And we know for a fact that if a man gets together with a man and a woman gets with, with, with a woman, that they can't biologically reproduce yes. on their own, right? Yeah. So we know that as a fact, but everything else after that, so whether you're religious or a creationist, we don't know that that doesn't mean that men and men weren't supposed to get together. That's right. Or that women and women weren't supposed to get together. And, in fact, if you look at the world and how overpopulated it is, it may well have been that if you don't consider reproduction and as the biological imperative, right? So we all go, oh, it's the survival of a species that, you know, that's, that's, that, so that must be the natural so thing. We're surviving pretty well. There's what, seven, uh, quite well, three. Okay, yeah, we're not surviving pretty well because we're all breeding to, you know, more. Yeah, so, so what if the, what if the imperative wasn't biological? What if it was spiritual and the, the spiritual imperative was just to love? Right? And what if the spiritual imperative was it was okay for a man to love another man and they just wouldn't breed? And it was okay for a woman to love another woman and they wouldn't breed. And then there would be the breeding people who would be the man and the woman. So out of these combinations, whether they're men or women and whatever, you know, whatever the current language is, what if just some of those people, their, you know, uh, natural, uh, you know, thing was that they would be the people that would breed? But everyone else is basing what's normal and not normal on a pretty fucking big assumption, right? Because yeah. we don't know that that wasn't natural, right? We've got X hundred years yes. of, oh, this is how it is. It's natural for a man and a woman. It's, it's natural for a man and a woman to breed, right? That's There's no one who can argue with that. Right? This is biologically possible or not possible, yeah. right? But everything else is just made up. I love it. Right? And you can go back as far as you want, but we don't know that, Cavemen weren't hanging out with other cavemen, and cavewomen were. weren't hanging out with well, other cavewomen. If we look back in history, I mean, same gender relationships were well documented and flaunted, and yeah. and casual, and and some were serious, and it was it was an everyday way of existence. It's more recent times that there's been shame around same gender relationships and all that. What I am loving, a couple of things I want to say there is that I'm loving the number of children, and interesting, your son is 
19 years old, is there's a lot of children that are the teenage years, but also seeing up to, I don't know, roughly around mid, maybe even late 20s. They're just not seeing gender. So if you say, are you straight, are you bisexual, are you gay, are you lesbian, whatever, they're not identifying with any of it. They just are. And they connect with love. And if the person that they are connected on a soul level with happens to be the opposite gender, well, at the current way of our society, they're going to have an easier time of it. Mm. But they really don't care. And I love that. And I think that's exciting. Yeah. And of course, the challenge is the same challenge that Indigenous people have when, you know, the culture around them is enforcing certain kind of cultural norms. Okay. So it's all very well to say, I don't identify with any particular gender. But then you get a job and you've got to decide which bathroom you're going to use and suddenly there's, you know, you know, people having conniptions over when I'm using the men's bathroom or the women's bathroom because as it stands now, and let's not but forget. But again, what, you've got individual chemicals. If people come into my home, men and women use the same bathroom in my home. But, it, but homes are still different. Like when I worked in Cambodia, I was back there for a three-month contract last year and our um, toilet on our level, our bathroom, only had a curtain into the actual bathroom there was a urinal on the wall for men and then there was a cubicle right behind it. So you could be, as a man, standing up using the urinal when a woman would just walk past you to go and use the cubicle. And that was massively challenging. Is that, am I being in, should I use the cubicle? And what if I'm standing there and a lady walks in? But, you know, for them, I'll just, you know, but over there, they'll just, you know, stop and urinate on the street, you know, so it's yeah. not an issue. But the thing I was going to say is it's not that long ago that we didn't have bathrooms for people with disabilities, right? We That's had a men's too. bathroom yes. and a women's bathroom, and then yes. someone went, you know, this is not really practical for people who can't use these bathrooms yes. easily. So now it's, I think, legislation in a lot of places that says, hey, if you're going to build a new building, you've got to make sure that, you know, it's accessible and there's somewhere for those. So it's not inconceivable that in the very near future, when people are planning buildings, they will completely rethink how they build bathrooms. Yes. So there'll either be a fourth bathroom, or even better, there'll just be bathrooms built in a way where anyone can use them in a Each is safe a individual and, one, and you just go into whichever yeah. one is they can. And look, let's not pretend there's not practical issues with that because, you know, space and design and all those things, but they'll work it out, right? I mean, they can I'm work sure out some work it out. But, but in the meantime, it poses, and we've seen what's happened in, you know, I think it was Walmart who said we're going to be uh, supportive of people who, you know, want to use the bathroom based on how they identify. Yes. Um, but, you know, that causes angst for a lot of people because they're worried about safety issues. What if a guy just wants to go on the women's toilet, you know, which isn't the sense of it or the spirit of that. We might have, I don't know if we've gone off track, but we've yeah, gone totally off track. I don't even know what the what track we're on. Oh. It doesn't matter. I like it like this. But that's certainly what's, what's keeping what's me up keeping at night. What's keeping you up at night? So, so to put that in a nutshell, it's that some things are so ingrained in us culturally that we forget that they're not real and that they're made up. Because, you know, there are certain things if we come along and they're new concepts, we go, oh, that's a new thing, that's a made up thing. But there are also lots of things that we consider as a given that if you go back far enough in the thinking, we realise that somebody made them up and we just all agreed to agree to go on along with it. Because yeah. it, and it does. It makes, you know, if I say yeah. to you four o'clock, you know, then I know roughly what time I'm going to be here and you know roughly yes. what time. But there are big parts of that that we now fight about because we all decided on one definition and then perhaps someone else thinks there's another definition. We're so wedded to our own ideas and other people are wedded to theirs, but both of them are generally speaking made up. That's a very high spiritual concept that you've really grasped from that. In the final part of my conversation with Sputnik, we talked about image, courage, authenticity, and creating balance. 
have a listen. You know, and, and the thing about, you know, the dressing up thing, I mean, it, it, just because you have courage doesn't mean it's permanent either. You know, you go through uh, roller coasters of times when you're feeling strong and confident. You know, I remember then, so, you know, in those years, you also have less on the line when you're young. You know, I didn't have a career. I didn't have a profile. I didn't have, you know, clients. I was just some Left little guy. Life. Yeah. So, you know, it's easy to be fearless when there's nothing on the line. And, you know, and yet I remember, I don't know how long ago it would be, maybe sort of 10-ish years ago. And, you know, I was sort of rediscovering that physical creative expression where I'd come out of, you know, trying to be married and, you know, be normal and have a picket fence and all that. And I thought, no, nah, I've still got a bit of that crazy in me, so I'm going to let it out. And I really wanted to paint my nails. And I'd always painted my nails when I was about, you know, 16 and I had, you know, black nail polish and crazy nails and all this. And so I went, I'm going to do that again. And I was really scared. And, and so what I did was I painted just my thumbnail black. And I went, I'm going to do that for a while and just see what happens because I don't want to get shit and I don't want it to cause trouble with work or anything. So I painted that black and then kind of, like, you know, that seemed to go okay. So then I painted my whole left hand black and, you know, got a few weird comments and looks and all that. And then I did both hands and I went, oh, no, both hands is actually a bit much. Don't ask me where the logic in that is. So, and, but basically ever since that day, but it was hard to do. And ever have you since, still got them painted on one yeah, of they're a bit chipped now. Yeah, you've but, always yeah. had the chips. Yeah, and that was part of it. I remember it was chipped. Being chipped, <laughs> so, but, but, you know, that was really hard to do. And, of course, now I'm at a stage where, you know, the last five years, you know, even just five or six years ago, I was still rocking a bit of a, you know, a bit of guy liner every now and again or some, you know, sort of tartan pants or, you know, whatever it was. Whereas now I've gone down this adventure angle. So here I am sitting here with my scraggly hair and my beard and just a regular T-shirt, but I've still got black nail polish. And even I'm going, oh, does it fit? Is it still who I am? I'm not really sure anymore. So- I love that it's about <laughs> who you are. It's not about... It's not actually an image, it's, it's a feeling, isn't it? It's a feeling of who you are and how you wish to be expressing who you are. But, but I still have to be conscious of, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a quasi-sponsorship in the adventure field where I have an adventure clothing company give me gear and I'm in photos and stuff. And I still have to be a little bit conscious of how I represent that brand or my own business. So, you know, I walk into a meeting and I always talk about normally you walk into a meeting and you start at a zero and you've got to work your way up to ten to impress someone. I kind of walk in... I'm probably at about a minus five or a six off the bat because <laughs> I introduce myself and my name's Sputnik and, you know, I kind of lose a few points automatically. And if I don't keep my oh, you hand, with me. If I don't keep, yeah, but different strokes, you know, <laughs> if I don't dead. keep my left hand hidden and they see the black nail polish, I lose a couple more points. And I have to work extra hard just to get, just to get back to zero. And we can sit here and go, oh, it shouldn't matter, but, you know, it's but planet it does. Earth. It, it does. does. And we are in 2016 and we are living in a very sophisticated Western society yeah. and we can either make it easy for ourselves or hard for ourselves. It's like choose your battles, isn't it? So so I guess the point I'm making is that I still have to find that courage at times. Sometimes it comes naturally, um, but there are still plenty of times. So I don't think anyone should think, uh, A, that people get it and then you just automatic. It's not every time. Muscle, right? You know, you can go and work out in the gym for a year, get all your muscles. You don't then just do nothing forever and still keep all those muscles, whether it's emotional muscle, spiritual muscle, all the same rules apply. So for me, I still need to be disciplined and focused. And, you know, there are still days when I feel like shit. And, you know, this week's been really tough for me, for instance, with everything that's going on, in, you know, with, with American elections and the hatred and the aggression and, you know, all those things have been really tough on me spiritually. I don't mind admitting that. Um, 
And, you know, you, you, that takes a, you take a bit of a hit over those yes. times and it doesn't matter how self-assured you are, you know, that manifests in all sorts of ways. So, so you know, you don't just magically get somewhere and things are magically easier. What you do is get incrementally better. And, in fact, I watched um, Obama's exit speech yesterday and he finished off with something which is a theme that I use a version of now. So my current theme um, that I'm about to sort of start exploring, when I talk to kids, I start off with a graphic that says anything is possible and I cross out anything and make it awesome is possible. And the reason I say that is because, let's be honest, anything isn't possible. If I want to be an NBA player right now, that's probably not possible, right? I'd like to say so, this, but no, I think you're right there. So, so let, let's just agree that, you know what, there are Some certain things, things that actually possible. aren't possible. So yeah. let's not piss about and go, oh, you can be anything you, you know, you yeah. can't, right? Yeah. I can, you know, my eyesight's going, there are probably certain things that I couldn't join the army if I wanted to, not that yes. I wanted. So there are certain things that, but what is possible is awesome. And Obama's speech, he got right to the end of this speech. It was an amazing speech. I think he's a wonderful leader. I think, I think his presidency was flawless, but I think he did some amazing things. And at the end, he said, the guiding light for us is we ask if what we're doing is making things better. And he goes, perfect is unattainable. Better is good, right? Nice. Or better is possible. And I thought, oh, that's a bit like my awesome as possible yes. thing. So you might not be able to do absolutely anything, but you can always do something awesome. So that's kind of become my core theme. You know, I'm about to start writing my next book, which will be kind of based around that. You um, have to let me know when that's ready because oh. <laughs> he's written some fabulous books. So one of them, and he always has really cool titles, so there's this the Swashbuckler's Guide to Becoming an Astronaut. Which is nothing about becoming an astronaut but about getting into the creative fields. And the Tell other me one, your, your other book is... The Swashbuckler's Guide to Running Away from Dinosaurs, which is just about running. But, you know... Uh, and how to live life less ordinary, such as how to climb volcanoes and eat spiders. You've got all sorts of – this guy has so much going on. It's, it's fabulous. I should say I'm mostly vegetarian. I have still eat a little bit of seafood, but I do – I have eaten the fried tarantulas in Cambodia just because <laughs> really? I needed to know. It's kind of bucket list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to – yeah, I'm not going to lie. I had a couple of spots. not on my bucket list. <laughs> it's absolutely not. Spuddy, what a pleasure. Thank you for sharing so much of your wisdom, your journey, your stories. I reckon that's a great way to end it where we encourage people to be awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, thank you for um, having me in. Thanks to anyone who made it this far through that rambling sort of uh, zigzag journey. Down the rabbit hole, left, right, centre, back up, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, my offer to anyone always is, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, 500 million fans, so if anyone ever wants to reach out, I'm pretty easy to find on, you know, Facebook or any of those we'll places. We'll put the links so. up of, to your pages yeah, and, cool. and your websites and things. I'll get the, those all put up under the episode so you can Excellent. check out Spuddy and I might even see if you'll let me put up this gorgeous photo that he put up on Facebook yesterday with the love heart and the angel wings. So thank you so much. See you guys. Ordinary is the enemy. And that certainly is the catch cry of Sputnik. I hope that you've enjoyed listening to his wisdom and becoming a little bit more motivated to step up and go even bigger and bolder than you currently are. For all of the links to contact Sputnik in various different forms, please head to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash show, Or you can visit our website, which is lovelifeshow.com. And until next week, I hope you have an amazing week living life a little bit bolder than you have before. I'm Jane Donovan. Blessings and gratitude.
Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening And it's a beautiful